There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Did you use that $916 million loss to avoid paying personal federal income taxes? For of course I do. Of course I do. Assumption is that an independent central bank will raise interest rates in order to attract money into the country to finance the budget deficit. And what I want to do is different. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So part of the problem with the global economy is that nobody has a plan. Politicians lurch from one crisis to another and any long-term planning is simply about how they're going to win the next election. And that often means kowtowing to the powerful who might well be funding their election campaign. So is that democracy? What if someone actually did have a plan? Would anyone listen? Well, here's one way forward from Positive Money. This week on the Debunking Economics podcast with Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. Now, one of the many hats that Steve Keen wears, and you know, you have, when you get to a certain age, you have to wear hats just to uh, to cover the ball patch, don't you? I'm getting Steve? It's growing faster than anything else I've got, <laughs> except uh, my pouch that's going pretty oh, rapidly. Uh, uh, Can you have uh, a hat for a stomach? His pouch. We don't, I don't. I don't even dare. I'm ask. turning into a marsupial in my old so, age. So, uh, so Steve is an advisor to Positive Money. Uh, Francis Coppola is another one of the. Yeah, and Anne Pettifor, I think. Uh, oh, is she? All right. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, a good bunch of people who. Uh, uh, so Positive Money is a it's a not-for-profit research organisation in London. It's aimed at monetary reform. Uh, they include ideas such as uh, people's quantitative easing, which obviously we've talked about on this podcast. They also uh, have an objective to take on power and privilege, uh, which is quite an undertaking, obviously, given that those people all have, well, power and privilege, don't they? And they don't want to lose that. Uh, they're funded by donors and supporters like Australia's Sunrise Project. Did you know that? Which itself is has its own donors as well. So uh, some of those donors probably have their own donors as well. So the money is all finding its way up there uh, to help this organisation. And they've got a five-year plan of sorts. So let's talk about that today with Steve. I mean, maybe we should start with the problems that they are trying to take on, which obviously a lot of the problems we've talked about on this podcast before. Mm. And the list is quite long. But the first one, I think, is the main one, which is vested interests. You know, how do you change when you have rich, powerful vested interests? That's a real problem. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing. I've um, Positive money is a quite remarkable um, public institution because you often find these... Uh, groups have you know, like a very tiny handful of people, like the American Monetary Institute, for example, which Stephen Zalenga uh, was the the founder of, really is a very much a minority activity uh, in the in America. It's a very very tiny group, same group all the time. Positive Money works with a, net, a, net, a system, a, a network of, of local groups that are all complaining about the power concentration in English society and the way that's expressed through the monetary system. And um, 
And, and, and you know, the, the acceptance, which I think is being changed now, isn't it? This idea of trickle-down economics. Yeah, the opposite. Being, They're saying if you want to get money to the poor to spend, you know, the trickle. The rich don't spend. It doesn't uh, – that's why I call it not trickle-down, but trickler-down. Yeah. Okay. But people uh, are accepting that now, aren't they? I think there's, some, there's more common acceptance that, yeah. you know, because of the years we've been through lately mm. – uh, that yeah. we've, we've been sold a pup on a lot of this stuff. And we've also been sold a pup about the banking sector functioning as a way of providing working capital for firms and and enabling uh, innovation to occur. And so they've enabled Ponzi schemes, mm. uh, financial bubbles, huge amounts of household debt, uh, encouraging households into debt, which actually drives up asset prices and gets us caught in a... You know, a, a dangerous bubble. Uh, so this positive money has been opposed to that and saying the banks should be... Uh, first of all, not able to create money mm. out of nothing. They should have a, an account that they uh, they get you know, government government limited account from which they can lend. Right, and they have to make money on arbitrage. So right. So uh, we've talked about that recently. You didn't agree with that. Approach. I've got my problems about it are that um, I'm just not sure the banking system would be profitable. Yeah. If all they have was arbitrage. Yeah. Because that involves being able to pick who's going to be Who's going to repay? It's like in, in consumer debt, that's actually quite simple most of the time. Most people do repay their consumer debt. But if you finance an entrepreneur, if the idea doesn't work out, then it folds. And uh, and if you have, you know, if you fund 10 entrepreneurs, maybe two are going to succeed. You lose money on the other eight. It suddenly becomes a money losing proposition. Uh, so trying to make money out of arbitrage uh, when you, when you, when you, when the benefit the bank gets is they've got a loan with a fixed amount of money against the successful entrepreneurs and they lose the loans against the ones that fail, I think the only way it could work is if the banks were taking an equity position and therefore they lost out of uh, – you know, Yeah, but they wouldn't do that, would they? I mean, well, I mean, they, they only... that, that is actually the Islamic system. Okay? Yeah. Uh, whether the Islamic banks actually practice it properly or not is another story. No, but they've got a religion sitting behind that, haven't they, which yeah, prevents yeah. the issuing of those the, those loans for any for any other purpose. So so mm. banks are not going to give loans to businesses if they can give loans to people who, uh, who've who got a house so because they've got up, the collateral. You, you could actually there. end up reducing – I mean, not that banks finance a large amount of investment anyway these days, but it, when you when you look at the long-term data, and this is funnily enough one of the few times I end up complimenting mainstream economists is when they do empirical work, and that's Fama and French, who were the two of the main lunatics who gave us the efficient markets hypothesis. When they try to look and say what actually is the main factor determining investment, they found it was change in long-term debt. Mm. So you know, corporations were financing their investment by borrowing from the banks and then financing investment and, re and repaying the debt and circulating the debt over time. So that was a profitable activity for them, but that involved the banks being able to create money. So you if think you take that away, you know, I, I, I worry about it being the But the fact that they can and, you know, the so positive money on their website pointing to the fact that, uh, you know, the, through this financialization of the economy, bank balances are four and a half times national income. Mm. Uh, and that is obviously creating a, a massive amount of private debt, which we don't, which we don't want to see. Yeah, so, so, what would you do? Would you just so, limit the amount of money that well, banks I, could I would, I, The thing I'd be targeting is reducing the level of private debt, and that's where I'd be definitely. Of course, well, but that's been created by banks giving the ability for you to have that debt. Yeah, and you've got to say that you have to limit what they can lend money for. Right. So you don't let them lend money for asset. Like, do, 
We're getting into the solution now rather than the problem. So let's go, because we're going through the issue. Let's look for the positive money list there. Yeah, yeah. so the other one is obviously they're saying the focus on GDP. It's like our top line measure is GDP. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, we've talked about it. We've talked about all of these things, I think, on the podcast, haven't we, many times Mm -hmm. over. Uh, Because GDP, uh, well, first of all, is it the the right measure as a top line measure just generally when there's other things that we could be looking like, like, like how happy are we? But also just the variations as well. So GDP is a one big number that hides a huge variation in, in, in wealth. So it's a, it's a misleading number. Well, it's not looking again at the distribution of income. And again, yeah. a large part of positive money is wanting a more, a fairer, more equitable, equitable society. So you don't want the concentrations of power that have come out of the capacity of the private banking sector to create money and the way that benefits the, you know, the ruling class, the wealthy, uh, rather than the, the poor. Yeah. And, and so uh, again, a very worthwhile objective uh, but I want, I'm, I'm talking about dealing with the aftermath of allowing the system to go crazy for the last 40 or 50 years this huge overhang of government of, 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 of private debt mm. uh, like the, the England is really the classic uh, because I, when I looked at the long-term data it was quite ridiculous uh, that between the, the Bank of England had data going back to 1860 roughly from 1860 to 1982, the level of private debt in the UK never exceeded 73% of GDP. It took off in 82 to reach 210% of GDP. Jeez. The change appears to be when Maggie Thatcher let the banks lend into the mortgage market. And beforehand, you had building societies being the ones who provided money for housing, as well as, of course, a large amount of social housing in mm. the UK. But they weren't creating that money. They weren't creating money because a building society literally so it gets has back to, have, to you know the argument from positive yeah. money that you know if we go back to that, then you limit that. Yeah, and that's and, the, and so we had a huge increase in house prices. In, when you again mm. look at the the Bank of International Settlements data, and mm. you, you go back as far you know, to the point as far as you can take the data back, where all uh, all countries have data on private debt, uh, the country with the highest increase in house prices since then was the UK. Right. So your argument would be then banks shouldn't be able to create money for For home loans. asset speculation. Right. But if you were a business, because that's the other thing that's happening, of course, small Mm. businesses not getting loans because banks can give it for mortgages yeah. but if but if, if it's for a business and it but if they're not if banks aren't doing that or not prepared to do that then maybe that's a role where the government starts to oh, step well, in. this is where, where positive money reforms come in and you say you cut out the possibility to make money out of persuading the household sector to take on huge amounts of mortgage debt for house prices which the mortgage debt itself causes the house prices to rise you remove that amplifying feedback loop that gives you a bubble and a burst get rid of it and say okay banks if you want to uh, make money by lending money You've got to lend it to to businesses for working capital and investment, Mm. not for speculation. So that is, you know, and not to fossil fuel companies, which is another fossil fuel. Yet another issue as well, because you're finding that, uh, you know, they're they're giving money to fossil fuel companies. They're not providing it to people developing alternative energy technologies. So they've got four priority areas. Let's talk through um, through all of those. First is democratizing money and banking. So they want. a, a more diverse banking system. Oh. So they talk about direct spending rather than QE, as though QE is something that's sort of happening by default, when it has been lately. Mm. So talk through how you see the democratization of, of money and banking working. Well, fundamentally, it means banking providing money for people for actual 
to be either actual investment or actual consumption rather than asset price speculation. So uh, the main thing banks have been doing uh, since they were deregulated, since they were allowed to make their own uh, allocations of where they put their money, is into, uh, into housing and shares. Mm. Uh, and what we've had is huge increase in house prices, huge increase in share prices, bugger all investment, and really at the household level too, bugger all consumption being financed. Uh, and, and an enormous like credit card rates of 24 and 20 and 30 percent on credit cards um, payday lending in the UK which is just breathtaking the rates of interest there can hit 200 percent all this stuff is basically ripping off people who are in a who don't have the power to defend themselves and the, the poorest end of society ends up paying the highest interest rates and they're trapped into that situation so a large part of say let's let's just prevent this get rid of the payday loan uh, lending scandal, which it tr truly is scandalous, the rates you can see being... They're forced to advertise the rates now. Mm. Okay, so you actually see what, you know, and like I, I remember walking... In, in four-point type or whatever. Huh? In four-point type, perhaps, in very little letters. On banners there. outside the shops, actually. I mean, I've <laughs> seen rates of 134% per annum, mm. interest rates. And that's where if, you, if you're absolutely starving and you need that money now, then you end up... You know, to get the pay two weeks early, you're paying, you know, ludicrous amount of your income. And they, yeah, and that the is, that's the perverse thing, isn't it? And those people yeah. who really so they need, want to get rid who, of that. Yeah, those people who need that money, who are paying those scandalous rates, yeah. uh, are the lower income people. If you've got a good credit record, so you don't you, pay you, the you, rates. You don't pay anything so at all for six months. the poor are paying months. huge rates, the rich are paying low rates. So mm. this is, again, why you've got to democratise the system. And that means removing... But that's risk. That's that's the risk taking of the of the provider for that. That's the reason. For <laughs> that. Well, they will say that's the reason. For that's it, what they'll it? say is, is an explanation. But it's you know it's it's not it's not risk taking. It's power exploiting. Mm. And this is saying we want to take that power away. So you to be replaced by what though? So if you if you if you well, again more government money creation. So they're right. aware of the role of the government of being a money creator, where the government creates money but doesn't create debt for the recipient of that money, and what they create them debt for themselves is actually bonds you know so mm. there's this awareness of the you know the proper awareness of the monetary dynamics in within positive money that you don't find in in um other critical Organ yeah uh, other think tanks or other, other think tanks or particularly yeah. economic think tanks which yeah. are so when they talk about direct spending, there, so in the, in, the, in that scenario, they'd be saying, well, okay, if there's money needed to help out a section of society, for example, it should just come from direct spending from the government. Mm. And the government goes into debt. And we shouldn't worry. Do, do they think we shouldn't worry about that, that encroaching, you know, debt, if that's the term, uh, that, that, uh, that government deficit? Or do they think it should be sold as bonds, Put into the open market. I think that's uh, pretty much open-minded on on whether you have bonds backing or not backing government spending, or bonds enabling the treasury account of the central bank not to go into overdraft. That's what the bonds actually do. So the 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 main thing is that the but does it need to reach the central bank in the first place? I mean, uh, does it other than just sitting there as a as an overdraft in the treasury's bank account? I mean, does the central bank need to be involved if there's if there's you know, government spending, yeah, or, or do, you, do you issue part of it in bonds? You know, the, the question, you know, how... Well, the bonds how, could be bought directly by the central bank. Yeah. There's no, no need to involve the private but why, banks. But oh. actually, why bother even going through that step if that's well, what's going to happen? If, if you, when I look at the, the, the accounting of this using Minsky, um, you find that if you 
have a, um, the, a government creates money by going into negative equity for itself and enabling the non-government sector to be in an identical magnitude positive equity. That's how the government creates money. If the government does this uh, by, by simply using its capacity to go into negative financial equity, um, then that turns up as a negative on the um, central bank. The central bank ends up having negative deposits okay, for mm-hmm. the treasury. It's, a, it's an overdraft. Uh, and you end up with a necessity of the central bank as a negative equity itself as well. Um, if you issue the bonds, then the central bank can remain zero or positive equity. It can make its own choice at that level. It's the treasury where the negative equity gets focused. And in a weird sort of way, it just looks more sensible that your deposit accounts have positive sums inside them rather than a critical system having a negative sum in it. Which is increasingly becoming negative all the time. If you, if you, have, if you, have, if you don't have government issuing, the treasury issuing bonds, which are then bought by the central bank, uh, and therefore increasing the asset side of the central bank to match the liability side, which is the treasury deposit account, then you end up with a negative on the treasury deposit account at the central bank, and it looks weird. Mm. Okay? So like in, in a strange sort of way, I think the, the healthier system is the government creates money by running by spending more than it gets back in taxation, runs a deficit, which I prefer to call a fiat these days rather than a deficit, makes right. it more obvious, uh, and then issues bonds to back it, which the central bank buys and therefore the treasury account. So that is QE in effect, isn't it? Uh, no, QE. No, QE was buying the bonds off the private banking sector. All right, okay. okay. Yeah. It's so not it's- QE, but it's, it's the central bank simply, uh, the, the treasury creates money by its fiat operations. It can conduit for that to the private banking sector is through the central bank. The central bank buys bonds off the treasury. The central bank then has an ever-rising... Level uh, of assets, yeah, yeah okay. Mm. Um, but you then don't have private banks are getting quarters they are now by a treasury bonds falling in value because the central bank's putting up interest rates. Yeah. Um, so... And there's no impact, there's no worry from a central bank having a, 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 a assets increasing in volume well, look, all the been, time? It's been tragically destructive for Japan. How long have they been doing it for now? 30 <laughs> years? Hmm. You know? um, so you wouldn't necessarily have that scale. Of like, I think the, uh, central, the central bank of Japan's holding of Japanese treasury bonds is now two and a half times GDP. Yeah. Uh, you well, if you do it too much and too quickly, then obviously it is you inflationary. Don't, you don't, you yeah. don't get that scale. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah. again, when I look at it in terms of Minsky modelling, I get of the order of you know, 50 to 70% of GDP. So just talk, going back to that point then about democratising money and, and banking. Yeah. So And I think it's a, it's a good example of those people who are caught short and they need credit and they have to pay an astronomical percentage for it. Mm. Uh, in if in you know a, a fairer system would be to have them being able to get access to well maybe six months free credit or whatever you know uh, based on various stipulations so long as they're not getting themselves into increasing trouble by by doing that. Mm. That could be provided. By if no one else is providing it, that could be provided by the government. Then in in that scenario, couldn't it? Yeah, but it's, but it's also just re- reducing the power the financial sector has over poor people in this kind in this. Which is through regulation. So well, which is which yeah. raises the question: which is better to to 
to, to impose well, regulations. Rates, rates, are, rates are unregulated right now. I mean, yeah. the whole fact that a, you know that a payday lender can charge one hundred and thirty percent or two hundred percent per annum interest rate is, is is crazy. Yeah. So you're saying you simply ban that. And entry, funnily enough, one person you can yeah, find. What if they, they, no one then provides those those services? Oh. What if no one then provides those services as a result of that? They go, well, okay, if we can't charge. Two hundred percent. Even if we can't charge twenty twenty percent, the best argument that that should be controlled comes from a certain gentleman called Adam Smith. Oh wow! Quite intriguing. If well, you, the, the he's people, full of socialist ideas. That guy, a total socialist. Yeah. So people think Adam Smith was you know in favour of letting the market rip and don't let any regulations take place. But if you read him on money, uh, he actually had a fight with Jeremy Bentham. And Jeremy Bentham was against any controls on the rate of interest, whereas Smith's argument was if you don't put a maximum limit on the rate of interest, then the only people who are going to accept these outrageous rates of interest are what he called projectors. Uh, I've forgotten the first term he used, but the idea of basically Ponzi schemers. Mm. So, profligates and projectors. That's it. The only people who are going to accept those high rates are going to be profligates and projectors. So having a rate of interest, maximum rate set, which is slightly above the reserve rate of interest, is a good idea for financial stability. And that's one Adam Smith and that's easy to, easy to apply, isn't it, yeah, actually? Yeah, because yeah, you've got yeah. a number to pay. So you, it to. So you, you can yeah. make your money, but it's only a small amount. I mean, you can't charge 130%. You can charge maybe 8% or 10%, which, again, of course, is what less than half the rate that you can get charged on credit cards at the same time. So people, the, the, the power balance is a large part of positive money's arguments is to even out the pay the power scale between the financial sector and the working class. Mm. I mean, competition is is helping a little bit. So mm. I, mentioned, I mentioned a, a, a podcast or two ago uh, when we were talking about central bank digital currencies. I talked about how I've got a Monzo bank mm. account. A Monzo, although you know I've got a good credit rating, so it doesn't apply. You know, I've not got that problem that people who are, mm. are, are struggling have got. But um, I get interest free on any purchase I make mm. on a, one of the cards they have, interest-free three months. So I buy something, I, I, I forgot what it's called now, but I put it on, on, that, on, that, on that card and I just make three equal installments and I don't pay any interest on it whatsoever. I don't know how they make money out of that, but I mean competition obviously We are in is, the south of England here. I wouldn't try to find the same thing in the north of England. <laughs> Maybe not. Well, look, uh, when we come back, uh, we'll continue through those four priority areas. We're looking at positive money and their five-year plan. Uh, so we'll be back on a, in just a second on the Debunking Economics podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast 
with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So we are working our way through the work of uh, the five-year plan, basically, from Positive Money, of which one of the uh, people sitting on the advisory, is it an advisory board? Mm. Is it, do you meet? Do you uh, well, we used to meet, cup of tea and biscuits? COVID, there, was a, there was actually one of those triangular, sandwiches? One of the triangular buildings opposite the Bank of England. We used to meet out there. I've forgotten the name of the building, but... Uh, Mm. Now, of course, it's all been uh, you know, online and, and Zoom meetings and so on. And I have been absent, I must admit, in recent meetings. Uh, okay. Uh, okay, that's a mark against you. Mm. So they've got four priority areas in this in this five-year plan. We looked at democratising money and banking. The second one, a green and fair Bank of England. So redirecting finance from fossil fuels and reducing inequality rather than, as they put it, creating it. And, of course, the Bank of England, let's be honest, I mean, they do now more so than ever create inequality because they're pushing up interest rates. Those higher interest rates are pushing up asset prices. So if you've got those assets, you're looking sweet. Uh, if you've got a mortgage, it's not so good because you can't afford to pay the mortgage. And uh, and if you're, if you're low income, you probably lose your job. So, um, yeah, they're doing that. The Bank of England's doing that. Mm. That's, uh, mm. So how can we turn that around to say, well, rather than reducing inequality, uh, rather than creating inequality, we're going to reduce it? What sort of things can you do? Well, the large part of what they're talking about is differential interest rates. Right. So you actually re- require a low rate of interest um, and, and also allocation of funds. Um, so... Uh, and, and this comes down to realising that the private sector is not making the best decisions for the long term. The private sector's focus is the three-monthly and quarterly report, uh, not the long-term viability of human civilization on the planet. And we're realising that you know to do that, we really they have to be told, but the government level, uh, it, it, for all its faults, at least one part of the government has. Uh, a long-term orientation. You, you wouldn't have every river in the UK being polluted, as they are right now, uh, by a public system because there'd be some requirement to maintain water quality. Mm. Uh, the, the, the sewerage crisis in this country is ridiculous uh, because it's actually been private organisations. And there were, but there, there were, are regulations. Yeah, and they're, and they're, they're flaunting those regulations. Yeah, so, happy so, to flaunt them. So, yeah. so you're saying you need to decentralise the power over that to say you must be providing money for green finance, you must charge a lower rate of interest. Here's the money. You can lend it out at this rate. The money for, there is no money for fossil fuel lending, so uh, it, it's it's just admitting that the, in terms of the power structure, the private sector with a short-term focus is just done the wrong thing on the industrial direction of industrial development in this society. So, how does the Bank of Incl- England influence those? So, say for example, uh, a, a company says, "Oh, well, we want to exploit." oil resources in the North Sea or gas resources or whatever, uh, we need a loan to do that. And you don't get the loan. Because your bank wouldn't give it to you because the Bank of England would influence... How, how and there, there would be the, the, the funds that would be... You have a decision about how much money to be created each year or 
on an ongoing basis, and there would be a decision to create no money for producing new fossil fuel. But the Bank of England doesn't have that control at the moment, does it? It so, doesn't. No. So, so and even the Treasury. Would, this, yeah. is, this is a, this is this is. I go to Nat, just, currently. If I go to NatWest Bank and say, "Look, I want to start exploiting uh, gas well, like reserves," fracking in your backyard. I can see some. Well, exactly. A couple of little black spots over there. They probably have. Uh, all right. So fine. Down below. So I reckon okay. there's a bit of shale oil in my yeah, back yeah, garden. I need to it, talk. Yeah. Need to talk to the wife about this. Obviously, first of all. But uh, look, you know, with the, the garden at the back here is a bit of a disaster. Could do so, with the frack. Yeah. So a bit of fracking might help it. So we go. We go fracking. I go to. The NatWest Bank, and they right, currently. I'm terribly sorry, we're out of any, no money left for fracking. <laughs> that would be it. They'd have a fracking limit, would they? But currently, at the moment, they just go. Well, if you, you, you show me the business model, I say this is this is the returns. They'd say, great, we're going to create that money, yeah. no problem. No, no one's got but any control talking, over that. You're talking money con- capital controls, which again, we used to have these things back in the 50s. If you go back and take a look at the regulations that used to exist back then, banks were told they had you know, certain proportion of their funds could be used for local government, a certain proportion for investment. Um, and there were there were there were monetary controls, and the bank said, "Oh, I get rid of that stuff, and we'll do it better." And what they've ended up causing is a whole bunch of again Ponzi schemes and asset bubbles. Mm. They haven't provided the money, so this is pretty much saying you haven't done the job properly. This has to be a democratic decision, not a decision by the financial sector alone for its own short-term interests. Right. So the Bank of England is influencing all of this through regulations. It doesn't really matter whether it's the Bank of England or it's the government. No, it'd but be it's, the, yeah, yeah, the government setting the regulations overall. I mean, again, the the argument that the private sector does everything better. Uh, one of the best arguments against it is the British, British rail system. But, but in, in general, privatising works when, you, when a short-term focus makes sense. When a long-term focus makes sense, then private decision-making can fail because the, the time horizon simply doesn't suit the issue. And so, certainly with climate change, the mm. time horizon we need is a, a truly long-term horizon, not the not the three-month quarterly reporting horizon of the financial sector. So, by the way, just on railways, just as an aside, it's because it, it actually it's the bit that's in government hands which often creates the problem. So the so the the rail network, which was originally privatised, but then there was a whole spate of accidents. Mm. Uh, so pretty quickly, uh, they they took that back into into uh, into public hands. Mm. So the British Rail network, the rail network, is all owned by by the government. It's the companies mm. operating on those lines, which are. The those really uh, fancy uh, trains. Yeah, not so fancy trains. But but mm. then there has been you know a spate lately of signalling problems, which has just stopped trains operating. Like from from where we are here into London, mm. uh, a few weeks ago, uh, just you know for a couple of days, just no trains because of a signalling problem. So that signalling problem is owned. That's infrastructure owned by the government. They just haven't invested in it. And and so uh, so not only do they need to make that investment, they have to pay penalty fees to those private companies mm. for having not provided the service that they're reliant on. But it shows that it's even if it's in public hands, it doesn't necessarily be mismanaged because you've got a bunch of economists in charge of who are not going to invest in creation. Infra- yeah, and don't invest in the infrastructure for for the day and age that we live in. So mm. uh, so you know, it's not all be all and end all. Na- renationalizing everything, isn't but, it? But it, it, again, it comes down to who understands. Do you have people in charge who understand what's going on with the monetary system? Mm. And one of the great ironies is we need a group like Positive Money because the people in charge of the monetary system are a bunch of neoclassical economists who don't understand the monetary system. So a well-being economy is a, another one of their four priority areas. So we've got high levels of debt, homelessness, environmental degradation, all symptoms, they say, of an economy geared towards the wrong goals. So we need to change all that, obviously. 
but that's cha- I mean that's a big call because all of those things are happening because of the economic system that we've got. How do yeah. how do you turn that around? Yeah, and, and like in a, in a sense, this is a a policy lobby group for sensible people mm. uh, because just I mean the one advantage of traveling as much as I do between the continent and here is you see the impact of better social policies on the continent than you find here and you've homeless people everywhere in the UK it is just breathtaking how different that is to for example how often do you make it to America by the way how often do you get over to America fortunately very rarely I don't want Mm. to go to San Francisco ever Mm. again it was bad enough when I was there 30 years ago I hear how terrifying it is now Um, so yes the, the extent to which our political system lets people fall through the cracks and end up in destitution is horrendous uh, because the mythology is the mythology of neoliberalism and privatizing everything back in the days of Maggie Thatcher and Ronald Reagan was if we let the private sector do it, it'll do it so much better that we'll all be living and uh, have an economy will grow much faster. We'll all be earning good money and good jobs, and you won't need welfare. And you force forward where we are now, and people are not getting welfare; they're ending up mugging you on the streets instead. Mm. Uh, you get in incredible levels of deprivation and insecurity. Yeah. So the whole thing has been. And insecurity for the rich as well. I mean, that is the, you know, that's always the counter, isn't it? You don't go to San Francisco, you might get stabbed when you're there for a one-day meeting. And I'm quoting an actual instance recently for one of the libertarian, uh, uh, well, um, ex-libertarian advocates who Mm. left San Francisco to get away from the violence on the streets, ended up going for a one-day meeting and got killed there. Uh, So, like, you you have a, a a complete... Breakdown in society. Yeah, well, you get to you get to the stage where the rich, uh, to try and protect their wealth, have to start living in communes, these sort of walled uh, communes with uh, with private police security and And, and again the cost associated with all of that. Coming to positive money, saying we have to have a positive orientation for the whole of society about what we do with our money creation Mm. and power system. So that is more government spending, more welfare, more regulation. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, saying the private sector, believing the private sector would only be better than the public sector at everything, and everything had a three-month focus, and survival of the human species doesn't have a three-month uh, expiry date. Right. So it's introducing regulations and uh, and I guess incentives as well. Yeah. So you can put money forward. And in, as well. in some ways, the fact that this is coming through a lobby group like Positive Money rather than through political parties like the Labor Party, for example, shows the extent to which the political yeah, system but people then that, that is the problem. People would look at this and go, "This is all sort of like uh, sort of like this is all socialism." You know, it's it, I mean, even though it's not a political party, there would be people who are saying, "Well, this is a very left leaning organization, so it is political." It ends up being political for that reason, because the only place you can end up finding a, you know, a, a, a probably you can discuss these issues and say what's failed with the total privatisation neoliberalism thing is outside the major political parties. Yeah. Okay. And the final one of their four priority areas is new economic thinking, which has been all through everything we've been talking about today, mm. or in fact through this entire series of podcasts. So a more pluralist approach to economics and there's the thing i mean the 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 stuff that you know over the years we've been talking and i discovered a a podcast from 2009 (laughs) (laughs) you and me talking um, when i was working for cbs in uh, in in australia and i think the first time i spoke was with you back then um but you've changed your views on 
quite a number of things. You know, you've shifted, you know, as you know, you've done more research, you've realized that you were wrong on some things and mm. you've moderate, not much admit he's looking questioningly like, you know, what would that be? But I'm sure, <laughs> but I'm sure you'd say, you know, you, there's some things that you've got to, you're less persuaded by that you might have uh, stuck to in the past. But we all question stuff all the time. Mm. Uh, and so actually sort of operating in a bubble is a bad thing. Mm. Uh, and that applies to, you know, neoclassical economists as well, obviously. Mm. So it would be great. And you know, we talked about it a while ago. It would be fantastic to have you sitting on a board of a central bank. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I'm not holding but, my breath about it being offered. But, I, but I mean, but it would be an interesting approach, wouldn't it? To, if just generally, we had a mix of different, you know, and together with somebody else who's got another attitude that you are vehemently against. The more we talk, the more common ground ground you find. And the no, more- the, what I've, I mean, I've, I've been through a few experiences like that. I've spoken to a few treasury committees and things like that over time. Uh, working in overseas aid in Australia, the one instance I remember vividly with uh, Richard Alston, if you remember the name mm. Richard Alston at all, mm. and uh, the treasury economist involved, and I've forgotten his name right now, but uh, he'd be known. Um, so someone says, well, what we're really saying is we should all focus on our comparative advantage. And I went to scream bloody murder, and Richard Alston sort of pushed me back under my chair again, so it didn't happen. So the extent to which conventional thought will dominate, even if you put unconventional people on the committee, I, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, one thing I've changed, and I'm much more cynical about the potential for changing a power structure before it becomes obviously apparent that it's going to break down if you don't change it. Well, but I mean that is one of their aims. More uh, this, you know, more, a new economy mm. thinking. Yeah, and, and so I guess that I mean that's the the final point to wrap up on this discussion. It's great that they've got this approach. It's a it's a it's a forum for discussion, mm. and there will be people meeting holding these discussions. But are they just preaching to the converted? And and well, how? at least they, at least it gives them a church to preach in. Right, and that's uh, and, and and that's the beauty of this. It it is a very. I mean, I'm, there there are people who are involved in conspiracy theories about what banking does, and um, even like when I will pray, I'll praise Henry Ford and understanding how money is created. He was somebody into Jewish conspiracies at the other end. There's nothing that stupid in in positive money, and and what it ends up being an intelligent forum arguing for intelligent reform of of a corrupt system, without without uh, typecasting the corruption, saying it's a systemic thing. It's not uh, evil individuals or uh, or the World Economic Forum uh, you know, mind control group. So there's, there's, a, there's a realism to positive money that I have great respect for. But they don't get out and about much, do they? So if I, if I Google uh, um, positive money BBC, for example, I think I get results from ten years ago. Like, um, the, don't get me on the BBC. At the well, end. I mean, well, let's, <laughs> let's, but let, I mean, let's talk about it. It's just the mainstream media is not uh, yeah, in, that, into this it, debate. So, if we need this pluralist approach to economics, and, and, we've got to start with the media. Well, you're not going to get it through the BBC. No, well, we just need to get rid of the BBC. That's. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's a lost case. I actually don't see the point in them anymore. Yeah, and, and this, I mean. The, the, the classic on the BBC, I mean, to talk about conspiracy theories, um, there's an expose of the, of the role of MI5 in shaping the BBC, mm. and you can find it on BBC4. Right, well, that's good. That okay. gives you some hope. That's some hope, but nonetheless, it's pointing out that, in fact, there is a point about it, that particular conspiracy theory is not a theory. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, so the extent to which that's corrupted the decision making inside the BBC, and also, of course, being cut back in funding, and uh, which, which is, mm. you, know, you know, the ABC, Australian Broadcasting Commission, has had a lot of that in, in recent times, weakening the power of the journalists to be independent. Um, but yeah, you you can't get these things discussed on the mainstream media in this country, and again, that's reason reason for the existence of groups like Positive Money. Yeah, but 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 doing what to who apart from preaching to well, the, the thing is, so you, all you, of, because they've you, got this these very noble aims, but all of it involves bringing society along with them. So there needs to be a campaigning element to it all. But well, the, the, they are they do definitely campaign. I've done a few of my little demos with them outside the Bank of England on various occasions. So they are campaigning. It just shows how powerful power is. But if you if you stand, get, but if you're standing campaigning outside the Bank of England, you'll just you're look outside, like, not inside. Yeah, you'll just appear like a a, a bunch of radicals. Well, rather the, the, than a bunch the same of, time, but the people who are a part of Positive Money have been hired by the Bank of England to do research for them at various times so they they are they do have some impact they are listened to and without them i think the system would be worse uh, but it's certainly saying the system is good and it's the me i still maintain the media is the big problem isn't it behind all of this because that is what is determining the the public discourse yeah and the public discourse i mean it, 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 is whatever it, the government wants it to be well, it wasn't about the government, whatever, whatever mainstream economists think it should be. Mm. And they end up repeating you know, mainstream uh, mantras all the bloody time, which is simply ignorant of the nature of money. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame that uh, we have a media populated by people who don't think too much, isn't it, really? Who are not prepared to entertain. Well, you, you, you get your occasional thinking talk, talking heads. They're actually also thinking heads. Uh, but you tend not to get employed by the BBC. No, well, that's for sure. Uh, all right, very good. We'll leave it there till next week. Good to talk, Steve. Thank, Thank you. you. The Debunking Economics Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.